Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So Jameis Winston's had a couple of really good weeks. Is he finally turning the corner? And why can't the Bucks find a competent run game? Who's the best fit for FSU and the USF head coaching jobs? And did the Rays do the right thing by letting Travis Darnot leave and keeping catcher Mike Zanino? And at what point should Tampa Bay fans be concerned about the Lightning? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Before we get to your questions, uh, Steve, I was, of course, uh, away in Jacksonville. You had a good interview with Joey Knight yesterday. Boy, let me just say this about there's no good way to get to Jacksonville unless you have a private airplane because, like the Bucks <laughs> do, right? That is the worst drive. Um, and, and, and people would know this that are listening to this podcast that are Gator fans. Okay, so there was a major accident on, on um, I-75 on Saturday. And we left, you know, like Tampa sometime around, three, let's say, 2.45, 3 o'clock. That Gators game was at 7. I think the kickoff was around 7 or 7.30, somewhere in there. And it was it was the the perfect worst storm you can imagine because not weather wise but so you had an overturned vehicle on seventy five somewhere around Ocala okay or maybe north of there then you had the the traditional you know Thanksgiving traffic everybody rushing to get home or whatever and then you had a Gator game and I'm here to tell you that it was a parking lot now we had ways and so we managed to get like you know off to the side roads and go a little more east and. It was still jammed up because everybody had the same idea. Um, but, man, that trip through 301 and then coming back at night, you know, it's just it's such a long drive. And then, and then you, get to, uh, you get back to 75, and at night when you're out there driving around midnight, what do you see? Just a bunch of 18-wheelers. It's incredible how much trucks are on the road. You know, they all travel late, of course. Um, you should man, have been following was, Matt Baker on Twitter because he was tweeting about. Oh, I did. Oh, we oh we followed him. Yeah, <laughs> woe is Matt. <laughs> we followed. Like Matt was the only guy in traffic. I'm telling you, there were thousands of people <laughs> stranded, and Matt was the guy that we were most concerned about. But he uh, he made it. I'm I'm told right before kickoff, yeah. like literally as they were getting ready to tee the ball up. But there were people that took six hours to get to Gainesville. Six hours. I think John Romano told me he took. Because he went to the Gatorick's game before he came to Jacksonville. He said, you know, normally, what, a two-hour trip at the most? Six hours to get up there. I would have just turned That's... around and gone home. Well, you couldn't. That's the thing. <laughs> like, the, like you couldn't – you you know, exits are usually at least a mile or two apart, and it took you, like, an hour and a half to go that far. I mean, it was a parking lot. I mean, people were – it was – it was oh. Uh, we got off just in time, but we were we were kind of trapped on the on the roads to the east, but – Man, so at least the Gators won. If you're a Gator fan, you managed to make it to that game. And then while I was away, of course, mentioned the USF. We'll get into that in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, so long. Happy trails, Charlie Strong. It's kind of sad. I mean, the guy, is a. I think he's a really good guy. I think he's a good head coach. I think he tried to clean up a lot of the mess that Willie Taggart had left um, in terms of the, the kind of quality players and, um, you know, characters and whatnot. And I think he got some good guys. But – it certainly didn't work out. I mean, he did made some moves on the coaching staff with Kerwin Bell with some others. Um, and so, you know, there were three questions. One, could they come up with the money? That seemed to be the biggest question. And, and the answer was, yeah, somebody locally, some of the boosters scrapped that together. And once that was the case, then then I think it was clear that uh, Michael Kelly wanted to move on. And, and you, know, you know, Kelly did not hire him. And so he's looking for a fresh start as well. Um, but uh, not not surprised, and, and quite frankly, I think it was probably the right decision. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if another year would have if he needed another year yet. Um, you know, his first year was Quinton Flowers last year, the best player in the program's history, mm-hmm. and then it, it's kind of went downhill from there. You know, the, he never lost the player. I mean, to me, Charlie Strong's one of those coaches that you'd love to send your kid to play for. 
Oh yeah, that's the type of guy, man, that you want teaching your. I don't think he lies to them. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I think I think you know if you drew up the type of coach that you want your son to play for, to learn mm-hmm. from, to grow, to become a, a better man, he's the type of coach you you'd want to consider. Now, whether Absolutely. he's good enough to take top programs and 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 get them to the the levels they need to be, I don't know. And, right, you know. He did pretty well at Louisville. I don't think he got a fair shot at Texas. Maybe mm-hmm. he wasn't given off long enough at USF. I don't know. Um, but you know, it, it's it, it's sad for him. It's sad, and, and I know that you know the players. You never heard the, the, him lose a locker room despite sliding no. for three straight years. And um, he did lose a quarterback, though. I mean, that was the other thing that he had to play. Mm-hmm. You know, after losing Blake Barnett, and that that certainly hurts your program too when you're going to a freshman. Yeah, absolutely, it does. So. Um, you feel bad for for Charlie Strong, although you know he's going to get paid, and you know you don't you know financially there's not an issue there. But um, you know you hope he lands on his feet and and, and keeps stays in coaching because he's the type of guy you want coaching kids. Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you said. I, it's unfortunate it didn't work out, and who knows who's to blame for that. And and nowadays I think even in college it's you're getting fewer and fewer years to try to do something but um but they just you know what did they lose like 14 out of their last 18 or 15 out of 19 something like that 14 out of 18 and and then one of those four wins was against uh what fcs competition or fbs or cs competition yeah. i guess I, I always forget which one there you which. go yeah yeah no i i just don't think you can uh, be on that kind of a run and survive in in major college sports and you know, and, and, and even though USF is not a Power Five program, they're a very good program in a pretty good conference. So, um, as Mike Kelly said, we play big boy football here, mm-hmm. and I think he wants them to accept that. Um, well, and, and, it's a conference and, too, know. as a whole, that's getting better, and, and USF yes, wasn't, is. and I think that's part of the issue. Is I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we know what UCF's done the last few years, and, and this year they were, you know, kind of mortal or human. Cincinnati's, you know, getting better, and, and they won the AAC East this year. Navy's always good. Memphis is good. SMU mm-hmm. is, is a lot better than they've been. Houston's down right now, but with Holgerson as their coach, you expect them to continue to get better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a conference that, you know, it's by far the best, um, you know, group of five conference. It's the strongest, the deepest, uh, mm-hmm. and it's getting better as a whole, and USF wasn't. And I think that's part of the decision to process, too. Yeah, and and they have teams that are capable of beating power five teams. I mean, there's no question they've done it. So, you know, um, it's it's competitive and it is a good conference. And they and for that reason, you need really good players uh, and good coaches. So, a lot of names out there. We'll get into that um, in a little bit. I I would say that off the top, though, I don't expect them to hire somebody that's currently on their staff. I mean, I know Sean King, uh, a lot of those guys that have uh, been around for a while. Um, that that would surprise me a little bit. But you never know. Um, I'm sure they'll look at everything, and um, and Mike Kelly will make the best decision with his president. And we'll, we should know we should know shortly because I would think that uh, you know the sooner they can get a coach, then the recruiting and all that. Well, early signing you know, day is just two weeks away. It's December 18th, so I mean yeah, we're 15 days tough. away from early signing day. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Well, we got lots of questions, including those about USF. So let's get into them. Well, we'll start with the Bucks first, and John asks. Rick, can you please ask Bruce Arians how the Bucks managed to win a game without Jameis throwing an interception? Somehow the team managed to win without having to overcome adversity. So as a fan, it was a very confusing game. <laughs> yeah, well, if you just switch jerseys, I think Jacksonville sort of played the game that um, the Bucks have played many times. And by the way, Jacksonville, oof, not a good program right now. They are struggling. And uh, I almost felt bad, you know, I – what was it? A couple of years ago, I watched Nick Foles in the Super Bowl win the MVP and that magical run he had in the playoffs, of course. And, uh, you know, after Carson Wentz got hurt and, you know, he, he's never been a dynamic quarterback. He's one of those guys, I think, that needs players around him. Um, they had no tight end. I mean, they had just signed Nick O'Leary, for God's sakes, who's been on about seven different teams. And, and that week he had signed and they're throwing to him in the end zone, um, you know, and, and he, you know, he had one receiver basically. And, um, of course, Leonard Fournette, and, and that was really it. His offensive line wasn't very good. Of course, he fumbled a couple times, and they put in Gardner Minshew, who made some plays, you know, by extending plays with his feet. So that that helped him. But boy, that that is not a good team. As re- with respect to Jameis, um, and I mentioned this on the podcast last night. You know, he's uh, he he did not throw an interception, which is great, and and uh, but he also didn't throw a touchdown, which is rare. 
Uh, he generally does that. Now, you know, Chris Godwin got tackled at the one-yard line, or that would have been a touchdown pass to him. Um, he did fumble, however. He lost a fumble, and, uh, you know, quite frankly, the reason he lost it was that you had, you know, some <laughs> less than stellar less than stellar blocking, uh, particularly from Rojo, who uh, who missed the blitz pickup and then was benched. Um, but... You know, after after the game, Jameis stood on the podium and he almost made a point to you know to not just compliment, but also also you know say, well, you know, this is sort of it's a lot easier. I mean, he didn't say those words, but it was kind of like the message was, well, it's a lot easier when you can play defense like that and run the football. Now they didn't run the football well; they had a terrible average, um, but they did run it at least because they they had a twenty-five to nothing lead at one point. Um, and then Peyton, you know, Peyton Barber had a 15-yard touchdown. But, you know, the defense, of course, dominated the game. And we haven't seen that certainly all year and, and really in, in quite some time. You'd have to go back a number of years, I think, where the defense took over the game. But with the four turnovers and, you know, to get the scores early and, boy, Devin White, you know, playing the way they had hoped he would play when the season began. He was he's – just, he's just more comfortable. He can see it. You can see the confidence in him. And so – I know the I know the question is sort of tongue in cheek, like how you know because Jameis always has turnovers. I will say this about uh, you know about Winston. We may get some more of those questions about him, but um, he needs to have a good month, and he's had you know two winning two winning games, and now three out of four. Um, and if he can continue playing like that, I think the coaches and the organization would feel a lot better about handing him 25 to 27 million dollars as a franchise player if that's the direction they go. Uh and you know, then Jameis is going to get paid either way and we can get into that as well, but um yeah, I mean, yes, you can win a game. It, it certainly helps when you don't turn it over when you win the turnover battle and you know, they got they got four of them. So, credit the defense, um credit the offense except for the sack fumble hanging onto the football and 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 that's that's the recipe. You know, it's it's complimentary football. It's so much easier to play quarterback when your defense scores a touchdown, or they give you good field position, uh, or they or they you know intercept the ball in the end zone the way Sean Murphy Bunting did, and you know that that was going to be a seven a, a seven point game with about eleven minutes to play. It was going to get really hairy in there because uh, Gardner Minshew had heated up, and you get that interception, and now you can pretty much just run out the clock. So um, you know that's that's what a football team is. It's supposed to be balanced. It's supposed to have everybody do their job. So. Yeah, Jameis can win, and he can definitely win without turning it over. Well, Brent asked, and you asked about follow-up questions. He said, what are the chances that Jameis is finally turning the corner, or is this the start of another streak of Jameis being good Jameis, and the pendulum will swing again in a few weeks? Well, we don't know. Um, That's why this last month is so important. I mean, they've gone 3-1 and in the third quarter. You know, a lot of these teams like to break their seasons into quarters, and, of course, the first two were horrible. Um, but to go three and one now, if he can go three and one again, or even you know, God forbid, four and zero, oh, I mean that would be terrific. But like, what he needs to do is play winning football. Um, he needs to be the reason they don't, you know, they win, and not not the reason why they lose. And so, you know, let's say these last this last month he throws about ten or eleven touchdowns and maybe two interceptions. That's the sort of run that he needs right now. And I think if he got that that would probably cement, you know, the Bucks' feelings about bringing him back next year. I'm just I'm, – I'm here to tell you, I, I really – you know, it's one of those things where you don't make a decision because you don't have to, right? It's one of those decisions like you know it's out there. Um, you, you want all the information. And, you know, people have written this, and there's some truth to it, that what are you going to find out in a month you don't already know about Jameis Winston? Isn't he pretty much who you thought he was? Isn't he pretty much who he's going to be? you know, with the 20 interceptions and all that. Um, I'm not so sure. I think every impression matters. I really do. And particularly if you're playing under this coaching staff and in this offense and with this football team and with the young guys growing up on defense around them. And um, I think, I think all those, all those things matter. So, you know, I don't know that the, the major decision makers, which in this case would probably be the Glazers, have made a decision. I know they're very much in Winston's corner. 
Um, but then, you know, there, there's the Jameis part of it, too. I mean, and I don't know this one way or the other, but what if he didn't want to be franchised? What if he said, no, I want to be a free agent, don't franchise me? We've seen that in the NFL before. Now, I can't imagine that would be the case, and maybe the Bucks can work out some kind of a shorter, longer-term deal, you know, more than a franchise tag, but maybe less than four or five years. I, I don't know if that's possible. But um, there's going to be a lot of decisions to be made, and um, – you know, it it could be that he is turning the corner, but we've seen this before, and and you wonder if that four turnover or five turnover game is out there the final month. I would say this: that he does not want to have that game. You know, you if if the Bucks want to feel good about him, he needs to play like he's been playing down the stretch, like he has during this. You know, winning three out of four. If he does that, I think it's almost certain that he's back. But um, right now, I, uh, people on that coaching staff don't sound convinced about it. All right, Gerald asks, why can't the Bucks get a competent run game? Well, um, I think, you know, the run game starts with a, with a lot of factors. Uh, you, you know, generally the teams that run the ball well win, um, but the reason why they, they have good rushing numbers is they're ahead in the fourth quarter, they're ahead in the, in, late in the game where they're able to, to run the ball at will because they want to run clock and they're not trying to, you know, to score in a hurry. When you fall behind the way the Bucks have this year, your running game, your numbers are going to are going to be awful. They're just going to stink because you just don't have enough chances. I mean, we saw games, well, we saw a game where what they had uh, a total of 8 rushing attempts, I think, and threw it, you know, 51 times. I mean, um you're never going to win when that happens. You're just not. And so from that standpoint, um you know, you start there. And then and then you look at the offensive line, of course, and I, I think that they could be better in that area at times. The other thing is, who are you running the ball with? Um, you know, Ronald Jones was supposed to be their guy, you know, and they went to him a couple weeks ago, and he has shown flashes of being really, really good. He's run hard. He's run inside. He, he put on a little weight. He's explosive. Um, they made him RB1. Uh, and yet... You know, he came out of that game, it wasn't unintentional. I mean, they pulled him because he missed the blitz pickup, and that has been a consistent problem. Now, he's getting better at it, or so we're told, um, but Bruce Arians is not going to mess around. If you can't, you know, protect the quarterback, you can't play. I mean, that's his deal. And so then you go to Rondy, or you're, sorry, you go to uh, Rondy Barber, you go to Peyton Barber, and Peyton Barber's a nice little running back, you, you know, but he's he's not dynamic by any means. And if you look at the guys that run the football, you know, that are up the top of the, I mean, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, Alvin Kamara, um, Dalvin Cook. I mean, these are these are dynamic guys, right? These are bell cow type guys. Well, who's the Bucks guy? Is it Ronald Jones, really? Not yet. You know, I don't see them giving I don't see him touching the ball twenty five times a game. Now, you know, they they get behind they you know they they like to build this around the receivers which is fine but I don't think they found a dynamic running back yet at least to the point where Ronald Jones is 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 that they're comfortable keeping him in there because remember this that for most teams you have a franchise quarterback and then you have a backup and it's not many teams have Teddy Bridgewater right not many teams can sustain losing their starter and going forward like the Eagles did when they lost uh, Carson Wentz that year. It can happen if your football team has to be really, really good. I mean, you have to have a great defense, have to be able to run the ball. But if you can't protect them, if, if, if that guy misses a blitz pickup and you get a blindside hit on your quarterback, it can end the season for your franchise. For everybody in that building, it can be over, okay? Um, because you don't have anyone that can come in and – play quarterback the way you need them to play so that's why it's so important you know just and it can be any play it can be any miss blitz any miss pickup um and so I think I think for that reason the message was sent that like look we're not in week three or four like this is you know we're down to the final month of the season you should have this down by now um and so that's why they took him out so until Ronald Jones is consistently you know, in there getting the rushing attempts and can fulfill his potential. Uh, I think that's why the running game has kind of been choppy, in addition to all the turnovers. I mean, like we mentioned, you can't fall behind 
Uh, and they've been a team that's that's trailed in a lot of games over the last few years. All right, TPA fan asks, do you think that Vita Vea will get the ball for a goal line stand in the near future? I keep anticipating it every week when I see him on offense in the red zone. I hope so. I was calling for it the other day. He got down there, you know, um, when Chris Godwin got to the one-yard line, they put him in at fullback. And uh, I think it's only a matter of time. You know, the interesting thing is that's the thing he he did the most in high school. He didn't block. He carried the ball. You know, he was a running back um, from the time he was a freshman. He obviously played defense, but um, he did play a lot of running back in. Um, I don't think he fumbled much. I mean, most guys just bounced off of him. But um, but I think he's capable of doing it. And, yeah, I mean, I, you know, here's the thing. Like, you probably need to have a pretty good lead. Um, to try that because you know what's going to happen the first time they, they're they in a critical game, they get down to the goal line, and you've got Ronald Jones and you've got Peyton Barber and all these guys you can hand the ball to. And if you turn and hand it to your defensive tackle and he fumbles it down there, what, what, what are the, what, you know, have that press conference, right? Try to explain what you're doing uh, by giving it to him. So, um, it's fun. You know, they, they, he did the hard part. He caught a pass, which is, which is much harder, I think. Um, but those guys aren't used to getting hit from all angles either. So, you know, I, I don't, I think they'd have to have a pretty su- substantial lead, but it would not surprise me if he runs the football this year. Let's just put it that way. Ellis asks, is it out of the realm of possibility that the Bucks moved Donovan Smith to right tackle and draft a left tackle based on Smith's performance this season? I don't know if it'd be based on his performance. That might be part of it, but I think it might be based on who they draft. I mean, if they, you know, the value um, of the offensive line is is uh, across the board uh, important, but left tackle is probably a little more important. Um, they're paying Donovan Smith like a left tackle. It wasn't a, a you know, it wasn't a six year deal. I think it was like a three year deal. But um, you know, I your right tackle position is more of a thumper. He's more of a come off the ball run guy. I don't know if that's Donovan per se. I think if you're going to move Donovan, you might move him to guard um, before you move him to right tackle. But it's possible, and and, and I think I think they could. You know, this has not been his best year. Let's that's putting it mildly. I mean, he's had this contract extension. I don't think you know. I don't think that necessarily affected how he's worked or anything. But I think he's given up the most sacks on the team, four or five sacks already this year, and um, you know has had some games where he didn't grade out that well. So. He knows he needs to play better, and and you know Demar Dotson is sort of hanging on. So the tackle position is one they got to address, and you know he's under contract. He still has some guaranteed money, I think. So I'd expect him to be back. But you know, could he move there? He could, but I think it'll be dependent on on you know who they who they draft or sign. If there's somebody that they sign to uh, to to play that's better than him, all I know is that the Bucks like him a lot more than their fans do, and a lot more than. Um, than other people do. They they think he goes to battle against the, the top athlete every single week. He doesn't miss a game. He rarely has missed a snap, and he does a credible job. So um, that's sort of what you're looking for at that position. Chris asked, do you think Carlton Davis has what it takes to take the next step? If you look at all the big plays for Jacksonville, he was responsible for the guy that made the play. Well, I mean, I think he's still a young player that we're – you know, that's gaining experience. Um, I, I don't know if, if he, if they made every play against him, but I certainly have to go back and watch, but he's played some pretty good football the last few weeks. Now he's a clutch and grab guy. He he's has to learn better technique. What was interesting about Davis is the really good game that he had, you know, against Atlanta and had his first career interception. He kind of played off the receiver a little bit. I mean, in college, he, you know, he was, playing press man and that that's sort of the easy thing to do right in college you just say you know you got that guy you got that guy um, but he's had to learn how to also play off and mix it up a little bit and when he does he can watch the quarterback but I think that gives him a little bit of an edge to you know to to make more plays on the ball I like Carlton Davis uh, you know he uh, he's got a good makeup for a corner um, you got to have a short memory you have to battle your way through tough times I think he did that as a rookie. I think he sees a lot of those same rookies going through that this year, and I think he's tried to help them. But he's such a young player, you know, that you got to let these guys grow. And um, I think I think Carlton Davis does have what it what it takes. Uh, and and you know, 
they got rid of Vernon Hargraves for a reason. I mean, you know, Carlton Davis is now the you know the senior guy on that in that secondary in a way, um, with a bunch of rookies underneath him. So that says they they have a lot of uh, a lot of confidence in him as well. All right, we got some questions on uh, next season and contracts and such. So we'll start with Les, who asked, with all the defensive linemen free agents we need to try and resign. Do you think Levante David is on this team next year? I don't think his contract is guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. I will guarantee you this, whatever day this is, um, the 2nd of December, is that right? I will guarantee you Levante David will be back at a full $10 million next year, whatever that contract calls for, which is which is not guaranteed. The reason I say that is I don't think he could do any more than he's done this year. He has had a Pro Bowl season. He moved to inside linebacker, or what they call the inside linebacker now in this 3-4. Um, he has mentored Devin White as well as anybody can. He's made a ton of plays. Um, he's not missed any games. He, he is youthful even though he's in his eighth season. Uh, and so, uh, I, you know, we were talking to Bruce Arians today. For what he's meant with all these young guys, I mean, he is the calm among the chaos. You know, the thing about Levante is he's very intense when he plays. You see how much passion and fire he has. Um, but he never changes. You know, like win, lose. He goes to work. He gets his work in. He knows what he's supposed to do. And he goes out there and plays as hard as he can. And he lives with the results. You know, he doesn't commit penalties. I know he had one the other day, which he disagreed with. Um, but he, he's just such a solid, solid player and a really solid glue guy in the locker room. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. That I'm telling you, these young players, they gain confidence from being around them. And, and I think Bruce Arians, you know, like I said, he never coached them until this year, but he really has an appreciation for Levante. And him and Devin White are playing as well as any any two linebackers you'll find in football right now. So yeah, Devin White, there was uh, Devin White. I'm sorry, Levante David. Um, I think definitely will be back, uh, and I think he'll be back even though his money is not guaranteed. And they will not ask him to do the, you know, the Gerald McCoy. Hey, will you take a pay cut thing? I think it, they're more than happy to pay him what uh, what he's earned. Raymond asks, at this point in the season, would you consider the franchise tag on any player on the Bucks? Well, I mean, the the one that comes to mind is Shaq Barrett, right? I mean, if you're not sure about Jameis, and I think they'll they'll probably consider doing it with Jameis for a lot of reasons. Um, but but Shaq Barrett is the other guy, right? Because I mean, he is. It's unbelievable. I mean, the guy's only two sacks from tying the franchise record held by Warren Sapp. Can you imagine that? All the players that have played here, all the edge rushers, the pass rushers. Uh, you know, the inside guys, I mean, we're talking about guys like Leroy Selman, Simeon Rice, you know, Warren Sapp. And you're going to have a guy named Shaq Barrett who could hold the franchise record in his first year, had never been a full-time starter, you know, mentored in Denver behind Von Miller and those guys, comes in here and sets a club record for, for sacks. He's only two away. He's also just one forced fumble away from setting the club record for that. So it's not just getting the quarterback on the ground, it's getting the ball out. You know, he, he's got six forced fumbles, and I think, um, was it Broderick Thomas and Styles G. White, I think had six in a season. So it's just been an unbelievable year. Now, you know, that franchise number is going to be large, but again, you know, you could give it to him for one year and um, try to work out a longer-term deal. But the money he's going to make, whether it's here or somewhere else, is going to be enormous. Um, but you can only use that franchise tag, I think, if you think you've got Jameis locked up or if you're just ready to move on and don't need it for the quarterback. Seems more likely they would use it for the quarterback and then hope that Shaq Barrett stays, that they have some home field advantage knowing you know he knows what he can do in this defense. and Because um, that's going to be an enormous loss for them because JPP is not likely to be back. 
We don't know about Ndamukong Sue. I mean, literally every one of those guys, essentially, except for Vita Vea, are free agents. So, you know, this group has rushed really well these last few weeks because they've had Carl Nassib back. They've had, you know, JPP back, and, and, and that's helped Shaq because he went through that period where it was just him. Um, and then the guys inside are getting a big push. So, you know, it all changes. You know, that's why we say it's a year-to-year league, um, and – they would love to have Shaq back. So right now I would say he's the only guy that that you would definitely franchise. And again, the, you know, the coaching staff may have decided that Jameis is, they want to go full, full speed ahead with him. And, and that would make sense too. But um, Shaq Barrett has definitely earned that. And I could see why you wouldn't want him to hit the market. Cause if he does, that money's going to get so big. He could, he could go to a lot of places for sure. Well, Buck North asks, and it's kind of a fantasy football type question. Um, although it's not fantasy, but, Assuming the Bucks have the money and are only able to re-sign two of these four players, who would you choose and why? And Dominican Sue, Carl Nassib, JPP, and Shaq Barrett. Well, I would say that uh, given that list, I'm gonna, you know, I'm a big believer in sort of production and also age. I I think it's a young man's game predominantly. Look, I love JPP and I love what he brings to the table, but this is a guy that's gotten hurt you know, off the field more than he has on. Um, and yet, you know, he's still able to, to ball out. I mean, he hasn't seemed to have slowed down. It's incredible what he's come back from. Um, but he's going to cost you a lot of money. And I think he'll be, he's 30 years old. I think he'll be 31 or, or thereabouts sometime next year. So I don't know how much he has left to sign him to a, you know, to a a multi-year deal. I don't know how confident I am. He's going to stay healthy. Um, that sort of thing. And then, you know, Sue, I mean, Sue, this is his, what, fourth team in four years, something like that. Um, he's sort of a mercenary at this point. He's been a great asset for Vita Vea. Nine and a half million doesn't seem unreasonable, but he's going to be a year older. So he'll be, you know, he'll be in, in his low 30s as well. Um, he's not going to finish with great sack numbers, but he's got a couple of touchdowns. He's made good plays, been double teamed a lot. He's, you know, he's helped in that respect. I would have a problem with them re-signing Sue. Um, I think I would rather have Carl Nassib just because, again, younger player, you, you were fortunate enough to get him, you know, off waivers from the Cleveland Browns. It didn't cost you anything. And you kind of found, you know, a little diamond in the rough there. I mean, he's got five sacks now. He's missed some games. He was sick as a dog last week and, you know, kind of got off his sick bed and, and managed to have a, a sack and a, and a, and a forced fumble. So I like Carl because I like the energy he brings. So if it were me, I think I would, you know, I would definitely lean towards the younger players. And, um, you know, even though Shaq Barrett's, you know, in his fifth year, he's still a young guy and hasn't played a ton of football yet. So I think his best football is ahead of him. So those would be the two guys I would go with. All right, we'll switch to college football now. And Brian asks, with the right coach, what is the ceiling for USF football? Well, I think we've seen what it is. Um, you know, I think uh, Jim Levitt came close to hitting it. I think Willie Taggart probably did. I mean, you, you know, you're in a really good non-Power 5 school, but but a great, you know, the best of the other conferences that aren't, you know, the SEC or the Big Ten or the ACC and those guys. Uh, and and you're, playing for, you're playing for championships. You know, you, you have the ability to – you know, to, to get into a conference title game. I think that's, I think that's their ceiling. Are they going to be, you know, this team that somehow jumps into the top 10 at the end of the year, you know, in, in the rankings? I, I don't, I don't think so. But well, um, why shouldn't that be the, why shouldn't I mean, maybe not next year. I think it should be the goal. But I, I mean, shouldn't that, it be I the don't... national championship like UCF one? Well, yeah, you could do that. I mean, I don't. Again, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna vote you in the college well, football playoff based on schedule, you know, in your conference. But, but if UCF can do that in the AAC, recruiting from the same base of kids yeah, and the no, same base of operations be, that should in be, Florida, that should be the ceiling. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that should be the ceiling. I, I just don't think it's realistic to you know to go in there thinking you know we're playing for college football championships. How about you play for a conference championship? Could you win that? If you win that, then, you know, you could go to a really good bowl game, and who knows, maybe you'll be a finish ranked in the top 10 or even mm-hmm. even higher. But um, let's be honest. I mean, you know, Charlie Strong, what we say, lost 14 of the last 18 games in that conference. Yeah. 
you're you're one of the you're one of the lower rung teams now. You know you're looking up at UCF, and I mean way up. Well, you are, but don't so, forget UCF went from zero and twelve to undefeated in two seasons. Well, they did. They absolutely did. I'm not saying it can't be done. When mm-hmm. we, look, I like I told you, Willie Taggart one time was calling us on the radio show, and we didn't know what to ask him. But I think he was like three and four, and about to get fired when he when he switched quarterbacks. You know, and then all of a sudden they went on their run. So it can change in a hurry, but. Um, they've been, I mean, they, we know what they can be. We've seen their best and, mm-hmm. and is there more left in the tank perhaps? But yeah, if, if UCF can do that from that conference and make an undefeated run and get mentioned and, and a license plate that say they're national championship. So yeah, why not you? I mean, they, they absolutely should be able to do that at minimum. Well, Mike asked, who do you think is the best fit of all the names that have been linked to the FSU job? Um, you know, there have been a lot of names for me. I, I, we talked to Matt Baker a lot about this. I would want a guy, um, and, and I guess I'm just going to say Matt Campbell from Iowa state. I, I want a guy who's, who's done it at the major level that like, he's not too much of a reach. You know, you could certainly go get a guy from the AAC or, you know, one of the other FBS schools or whatever you might wind up with. I don't know, a retread. Like we we talked about, you know, other guys that have been in major programs. But but to me, like a guy at Campbell that still has a big upside that's done it at the major level. Now he hasn't recruited he recruited Florida for Iowa State, so he's sort of familiar with the terrain. But I, I kinda I kinda like, you know, a new face. I kinda like somebody that um you know, that that isn't necessarily Bob Stoops. Like Bob Stoops didn't exactly excite me. I know he's capable. I know he's, you know, he, he won all the time at Oklahoma, but, you know, 59 years old. So maybe a younger guy um, that's done it at the major college level. So for that reason, I would say maybe maybe Campbell might be the best fit. Less ass. I was surprised Felipe Frank said he wasn't coming back to UF next year. I don't think he'd be wise to enter the draft with that injury. So where do you think he will land? As much as I hate to say it, Florida State wouldn't be a bad spot. Well, there's, you know, they've had quarterbacks do that, you know, in the past. I mean, Alex Hornibrook moved from Wisconsin, you know, last year as a fifth-year senior. So um, that's certainly an option. It's hard to do. You don't get there till the spring. I don't think Franks is going to go the NFL route, you know. Uh, he could certainly be invited to the combine if he were healthy. Um, but not having played football and, and, you know, not all the tape is good uh, with, with him. So... I, I would imagine that he's looking at a transfer portal, you know, to go someplace else and you know, maybe be that quarterback as a fifth-year senior, um, show that he's, you know, capable of coming off that injury and, and, and improve his game a little bit. Look, he's got all the physical ability in the world. I mean, the guy's got NFL size, and certainly he's mobile enough, and he's got a great arm. So, um, and I'm not going to compare him because he's not Joe Burrow because he was never that accurate, but you know, we saw, you know, Joe go from Ohio State and he's going to probably be, you know, if not the first pick in the draft, one of the first picks in the draft and probably the first quarterback taken. So it can happen and it can happen fast. But, yeah, I, I don't know because I, I, I can understand why he's not going back to Florida. You know, I think he probably feels like they're they're ready to move on with younger quarterbacks at this point. Well, and maybe and, Dan Mullen told him that, too. Dan Mullen may have said, look, you know, we're, we're going to go with the freshmen, you know, we're, we're, or we're going to go with some of our younger guys. I mean, and, you know, and even Kyle, I mean, Kyle Trask came in and did a nice job and showed that there's life after Felipe Franks. So I think they're probably looking for somebody younger or somebody more dynamic. So I understand why he's leaving, but if I were him, I would recommend, you know, don't go to the NFL. I mean, you may not make a roster. You might end up, you know, playing in a different league, but, um, but but he's still got you know if he can play one more year somewhere in, in a in a transfer situation that's that's probably what he should do I think. All right, Mike asks, did the Rays do the right thing by letting Travis Darno walk at two years and sixteen million dollars and keeping Mike Zanino for two years at nine million? I don't know, sixteen million. That's a lot of money, right? Listen, first of all, I'm not going to question the Rays. I mean, they found Travis Darno. They got him really for virtually nothing. It was an emergency situation. They had lost five other catchers, I think. And so they helped make this guy a lot of money, and he was a clutch hitter and did an unbelievable mm-hmm. job and even played some first base. Um, but the catching with this staff 
And I thought he was good defensively too. The, the catching with this staff has to begin with defense. I mean, you can sacrifice the the, the bat a little bit. The thing about Zanino was, even though he's a 200 hitter, and God knows the Rays have lived with you know enough 200 hitting catchers in their day, um, but he's always been a good defensive guy. No one's ever questioned his ability to to, to handle pitchers. Um, you know, Charlie Morton raved about the way he would call games. I mean, just raved about it. Uh, he studies it, and it's a staff with dynamic dynamic stuff. When you think about the guys, you know, the Blake Snells and Mortons, and um, you know those guys throwing. So I think, I think first and foremost, you had to secure the position of catcher, right? Because they're about eliminating runs and defense, and uh, and that's they're not going to bash their way, you know, around around the bases. So. I think they did the right thing. Yeah, he's cheaper. And and let's let's leave it to the Rays too to find out or to go find another catcher that'll compete with Zanino, you know, or that will uh be somebody who can provide some offense on occasion when uh when he does not. So they've always managed to do it in the past. I have tons of faith that Eric Neander's gonna be able to find somebody else too to to help out. Yeah, a couple of news and notes on the race, too. They non-tendered Guillermo Heredia, so he now becomes a free agent, and they are uh, tendered an offer to Chaz Rowe, so he should be back this year. So, And Jesus Aguilar, I believe, was uh, claimed by the Marlins. He was DFA a couple claimed. days okay. ago, yes. Yeah. yeah. So far, I don't think any of the moves – have any of the moves surprised you? Uh, the Darno one, I don't know if it's a surprise, because the other part of this is – and everyone assumes that the Rays just let him walk – Darno was a free agent. He can go where he wanted to. Maybe he chose. Maybe he wanted to go to Atlanta over Tampa Bay too. We don't know he that. Might have. Um, yeah. Although my guess is the Rays weren't going to pay him two years at sixteen million based on his injury history and other things. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, I, there's all kinds of moves in the offseason. Every year we say this is an awful move and they're tanking and they're doing all this and you know. Even though they've re-signed Zanino, and granted, they signed him for a number less than he was probably going to get in arbitration, which is probably the key there, too, which doesn't mean he'll be on the roster come opening day. It doesn't mean they don't trade him or, you know, I mean, the Rays, there is very little, if anything, that's sacred on their roster. I mean, you know, I don't think you could probably get Blake Snell from them or Tyler Glass now at this point, but they'd listen to an offer if if it was a big enough offer. Sure. I mean, that's the way they operate. And and when you have a payroll the way they do, that's the way they have to operate. So um, I don't know. I wouldn't say surprised. I mean, I think you were hoping of the, the free agents they had that Darno would be the one back. Um, you know, I don't expect Avisail Garcia or Eric Sogard to be back. Darno was the one maybe you hope, and mostly because it's a position of need for the race. Yeah, and I think, you know, when they realized whether it was financial or otherwise that they weren't going to get him, I think they did the right thing by securing the position of catcher mm-hmm. and finding a guy that can that can do it defensively. Yep. I mean, that, that has to be the priority. You have to have one of those guys. Right. The move to let, you know, Matt Duffy go did not surprise me. Um, no. I, I think they like Matt Duffy, but I think, you know, I think, you know, and Jesus Aguilar too, I think they're looking to add more power maybe at the corner infield spots. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think they're still looking for some more, especially if Garcia is not back, they got to look for some more thump in that lineup. So I think, you know, some of this may be, you know, they may have saved the money from Darno to Zanino to, to make, to save money to pay for somebody else too. What's funny about that is they, they've been known to, to let or say goodbye to their leading home run hitter every year <laughs> for a yeah. number of years there. Yeah, they pretty much you do. Know? I mean, it was CJ Crone and Logan Morrison and you go back through the, the list. Steven Sousa. Steven Sousa Jr. Corey Dickerson. I don't know if he was leading yeah. the team in home runs, but yeah, he they're not, up there. Yeah. They're not afraid to make those moves at all. Evan Longoria, for that matter. That's right. They're not afraid to make those moves at all. Nope. AJ asks, at what point do we need to start being concerned about the Lightning? It feels like the ghost of Columbus never left. Coaching change needed at some point? Roster moves? And, and I'll follow that up. Brian had a follow-up question similar. Should the Lightning reconsider the extension they gave John Cooper and make a change by January 1 if the results are inconsistent, to say the least? The Blues made changes and went from last to a cup win last year. Boy, that's a lot um, packed in that question. I I would be – if I was a Lightning fan, I'd be very concerned because, you know, there's been so much of this narrative about, you know, oh, the hangover. And I know t- we talked to our friend Tom Jones. He thinks it's real. 
Um, and, and maybe there is some of that. I just can't believe that you're out there every night, you know, thinking about it. But I think what this proves is every year is different. And, you know, other teams improve too. Um, now they've tried to play the, you know, you've heard them. The narrative has been, well, we're, we're trying to play the right way because we know when we get in the postseason that that's the way we have to play. We can't just, you know, go up and down the ice and, you know, try to, you know, score six goals a night, although they're skilled enough to do so. They don't think that's, you know, a lasting formula or, or a formula that's going to get them a cup. So they've, they've tried to be more disciplined, um, take care of business, you know, on defense, whatever. All I know is something's not right. And, and I think what it is is as simple as, you know what, they're, they're, they're not the same team. You're not the same team year in, year out. When you take pieces away, um, everything changes, you know. And I don't know that Vasilevsky's playing as great as he's capable yet. Um, he's still, like, one of obviously the best goalies on the planet. But, um, you know, you've had some injuries. Stamkos has been out. Kucherov has been out. I think they're going to figure it out, but I would be concerned because, you know, they, they need to get going. Now, they're in this stretch where they're playing every other night. That's going to help them. Um, but, you know, the other night to come out and give up three points in the first period, that was disappointing. You know, you can't start games like that, and no matter who's out there on the ice. So they'll look at Cooper for sure because they feel like they're skilled enough to compete for a Stanley Cup title, you know, every year, and if, if it gets – and if we get to January and it looks like they may not make the playoffs and they're going to have to do some things, I don't think anybody's safe. Well, but... I, I will say this, and this is not the same team as last year. And no. and we've gotten spoiled as, you know, watching the Lightning the last two seasons, oh, sure. really, at just how dominant they've been early in the season. Sure. And But we've seen that it hasn't equated to what you want in the postseason. Nope. Now – the Lightning have also played the least amount of games in the NHL. And if you look at points right. percentage, which is the percentage of possible points, which you could earn a most of two points a game, take the points you have, divide it by the games played times two, they're in the playoffs at this point. They just have played less games, so it doesn't look like it on the standings. You know, you look at, they're like four games in hand on Toronto and three games in hand on Buffalo and the teams directly above them in the standings that – that if you take the points percentage, they're in the playoffs right now. They just have to catch up on games. Now you have to win some mm-hmm. of those games to do that. So I, I don't think it – this isn't a situation where the Blues were last year in last place in January. Or think of uh, the Penguins did that a few years ago with Mike Sullivan and they won a cup when they made a change, uh, either December or January. So I, I don't think the Lightning are in that situation, but it kind of feels like it more so because of the last two regular seasons and how dominant they've been early in the season. By this right. point, they were way ahead in, in the division both years. And so mm-hmm. you kind of get spoiled in that regard, where they're having a good season right now. It's not great. It's not what we're used to. It's not – I wouldn't even say it's what they're capable of yeah, based on the talent on the roster. But it's a good season so far. I don't think Andre Vasilevsky has been his best this year. No. Um, you know, we've talked about for a couple seasons he might be the best goalie on the planet. He's not playing like it right now. He's not playing bad. No. But right. it's not that level you're used to. He's letting some goals in. You're going, oh man! Normally he saves that and mm-hmm. bails them out. Um, I, I think they're still figuring out the blue line some, and I, and I like some of the energy the eleven seven has played that they've they've gone to the last four or five games now, um, where they're they're double shifting some forwards up there, and you've got an extra defenseman in the back. Um, you know, you're still dealing with. I mean, as much as we want to say it's the same roster as last year, it really isn't. Um, no. You forget about, you know, JT Miller's not on this team now. Um, and, and some players are taking on different roles. Anthony Sorelli has definitely had an increased role. Alex Kalorn's kind of found his niche on this team now. Um, they're replacing mm-hmm. Girardi and Strawman on the back end. Um, the, 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 the scariest part is, or, may, or maybe it's the most positive part, is your stars haven't started performing yet. I right. mean, night in and night out, the fourth line or the Paquette line has been the best line on the, on the ice. You know, especially since Yanni Gord joined that line, a Pat Maroon, yeah. Paquette, and Gord. That line has been out there a lot, and they, and they make a difference on the ice. Um, they don't; they're not always scoring, although they will give you some scoring. But you know, you're just kind of waiting for Kucherov and Stamkos and and those guys to get and Braden Point to get hot and, and go on those. You know, they go on those streaks. You know, you know, Nikita Kucherov last season set you know twenty year records of points scored. 
but he didn't have a great start to the season last year. The team did. He didn't. He started heating right. up around this time last year, maybe even a little sooner. But you're, you're waiting for him to kind of step up, and he's getting a lot of assists now. He's starting to, you know, that's starting to crank up a little more for him. But, yeah, they're too skilled. They're too skilled to not not catch fire at some point, yeah. and, and they just need to play more games. Um, but it, it it just goes to show you, though, you can't assume, right? You can't mm-hmm. assume because you're talented. You can't assume because you you're expected to do this or that. Every team has to find their own rhythm, their own formula for winning and they just haven't found that rhythm yet they haven't found that formula yet and i think they will because i think they're too talented not to um but we'll see you know like uh, there's no absolutes here just because you you should be this or that doesn't you know doesn't mean you are yet mm-hmm. so well, they've gotten one point in their last three games and they've got a tough match tonight at nashville which they usually don't oh, play very well rough there. yeah yeah. Um, now it's a one-game home or road trip. Then they're back home against the Wild and Sharks the rest of the week, Thursday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I concerned is maybe a good word. Worried? I'm not worried yet. I wouldn't be worried. It's too early um, in the season to be worried. I'm yeah. concerned on on some of the consistency they play with. You know, that first period the other night, giving up three goals. They played well the last two periods. Yeah, but you can't do that. But but they buried themselves in the first period. Yeah, you can't do that. Um, you know, so I, concerned is a good word that AJ used. I wouldn't. I'm not worried at this point because this is what most hockey teams do that make the playoffs and go on runs in the playoffs. And, and not all hell, the, the Cup, Stanley Cup champions weren't even in the playoffs in January last year. They were in last place at the after the first. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, so let's not go crazy. It does happen. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that might be the outlier, but. Um, you know, nobody in St. I mean, St. Louis was probably packing it in, thinking they would never make the playoffs, and they won the damn cup. So, we got a lot. Hockey season is a long season, man. It is, but what you want to see is them playing more, more consistently. And I think they've been better of late, but they still have those lapses. The first period the other night, and others where you, you know yeah. the, the penalty kill had been on fire. It, it, it kind of cooled off a little bit, and that that's gonna those are going to ebb and flows throughout the season. Concerns a good word. I worried. I'm not. All right, some great questions. We hope that uh, you enjoyed our uh, answers. They're all 100% guaranteed accurate. So you don't have to wait for our mailbag segment. You can reach us anytime with your questions at uh, SportsDayTB on Twitter. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Tomorrow we're going to have the lovely, the talented Chris Torello of Spectrum Sports Bay News 9 and 360. Uh, and and he will believe me break down the USF coaching situation like nobody's business as well has a lot of insight in that and then of course Matt Baker will join us uh, on the show on Thursday as he does talk about a big week of college football all the conference championships and how that will impact the college football playoff rankings and then of course we'll uh, be talking to the Bucks and get you ready for Bucks against the Indianapolis Colts interesting team that's now six and six they've lost four out of five but still in the playoff chase. And a team that Bruce Arians, of course, used to be the head coach of. So that'll be an interesting week as well. So, as always, we appreciate you guys listening each and every day. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.